This podcast is brought to you by People's Light, a cultural and civic center with theater at its core, celebrating its 49th season. For more information, visit peopleslight.org. Welcome to Cratchit's Table, a Christmas Carol podcast. This is a limited series roundtable discussion with the cast and creative team of Christmas Carol, running at People's Light from November 15th to December 31st. You can get your tickets on the People's Light website. Infused with original music and traditional English carols and performed by a stellar ensemble, this jubilant retelling of the beloved Yuletide ghost story is the perfect way to celebrate the holidays. Bring your loved ones aged 6 to 106. On this podcast, we're going to dig into everything that is Christmas Carol, from why we tell this story over and over to its potential to be quite problematic. We'll be joined by a variety of guests and perspectives. I'm your host, Andrew Watring, People's Lights Community Program's Creative Director and the Associate Director of Christmas Carol. Throughout the episodes, I'll always be joined by People's Lights Producing Artistic Director and the Adapter and Composer of Christmas Carol, Zach Berkman. How you doing, Zach? Aloha, Andrew. Great sitting across the table from you. And today we have a very special guest for our past episode. We have acclaimed actor and the actor portraying Scrooge, Ian Peaks. Yeah, aua. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Aua! It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Ian. We're so excited to have you. So we have a question that we ask all of our guests. What is your relationship with Christmas Carol? Uh, With Christmas Carol, I was Tiny Tim when I was very little. My dad ran a theater, and so I got to play Tiny Tim with an actor who used to work around here named Buck Scherner, who was Scrooge. And I I remember almost nothing from it except that I I was on his shoulders for a while, and I liked being high up. And then, uh, you know, uh, reading the actual story by Dickens was uh, a treat, and watching the various uh, movies, big fan of the Muppet one. And then I hadn't really had much to do with it until Zach gave me a call and said, come out and audition for this a couple years ago. What is it, 2019? 2020. I think it was, 20, it was 2019, 2019 originally. Yeah, yeah. And, then, yeah. and so it's been in my life now for, for four years, and I'm, I'm very grateful. And I have a very complicated relationship with Christmas, too. Not complicated, but it's come and gone as well. So I suppose Christmas Carol runs in the same way. Okay, and this is your second time playing Scrooge at People's Light. First time around was pandemic time. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Well, it... Uh, we had so many things to focus on that weren't the show. And so the show was focused on, I think it was a very good production. But we had to worry about so many variables that we'd never had to worry about before when producing a show. And so that sort of came to the forefront. Everyone was wearing masks and were spaced. And so the joy of being back with a crowd of people was definitely uh, tempered by the fact that there were so many limitations to what we could and couldn't do. Uh, And I feel the freedom of this year is emanating through everything because while the pandemic still sort of lingers about, we have uh, sort of moved beyond it. And so it's nice to sort of experience it, hopefully with some full houses. And Scrooge is one of those characters that is everywhere. Like you said, the Muppets, the different adaptations. How did you approach Scrooge this time around and the last time around? You know, you do these iconic characters and so much of the work is done for you. I would argue that almost everyone who comes through the door, except for the little littles who are seeing it for the first time, have read it, seen it heard about it. And to be a Scrooge is, you know, a term that people understand. 
So uh, you don't have to work so hard early on. But then I'm also not interested in being a one-dimensional, he's just a bad guy, then he's a good guy. Because I believe there's always gray areas. And so trying to find the humanity in Scrooge, so the dude who changes at the end, we can see moments of that in the beginning, that there is humanity left in him, that he just needs to get pulled out before he goes straight to hell. One of the things I would say about when we first started talking with Ian about playing Scrooge, not only is Ian just such a terrific actor in so many ways and and use of language is just remarkable but also we were interested in making a scrooge that didn't feel like he was on death's door already that it felt like this is someone who a transformation would have deep ramifications for a whole community of people because he could be around for many decades to follow and i'm curious just for you in terms of like what about showing his vitality amidst someone who's also cold-hearted how those two things can live together at the same time i'm fascinated by how you've juggled some of the transformation at the end, some of the joy is the release of the physical being that he is because he's, he's defined as uh, solitary as an oyster. He doesn't move. He does everything the same every day. I don't think he goes to the gym a lot. <laughs> doesn't seem like a gym rat. And he's hunched over his table all the time. And so the freedom as a relatively young man, Scrooge speaking, although probably accurate to what, when Dickens wrote it, the guy was probably in his late 40s, early 50s. And I'm one of those two things. And so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think that the joy and exuberance that I did in 2021 that I hope to do a little bit of in 2023 is that physical realization of who he is and that there's still a vital human being that doesn't just have coins to make things better. He can go out and, and play soccer in the street with the kids. You know, he's got, he's got lots to offer physically as well as financially. And um, I love the concept of him getting to have a whole life, that his impact is not just... For the next two weeks, everyone gets free candy, but he's going to die soon because he's really freaking old. So I, 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 do, I do appreciate it. And I did feel like in 2021 that the come-to-Jesus moment that he has at the end is really, really appreciated by an audience who's sitting there and watching this. I don't know. He's not... He's scrunched down by life, and I don't know how to... And so that freedom to open up his chest and to just bellow and dance, I think, is one of my favorite parts about doing it. We've had a couple conversations in rehearsal about what it means for Scrooge to have been transformed and that mm -hmm. it, it should go beyond just an economic transformation, Correct. that he's suddenly giving money to these organizations. What, what is the fullness of that transformation to you? I think he talks, he talks about it when he talks about space. He has a line where he says, uh, Marley taught me that space between people is freedom, and I don't know anyone for that freedom. And I, I think it's actually, it's pretty healthy advice, and I said this in rehearsal, that a little space from people gives you free to think and, and find your own way in the world. But I think Scrooge has just taken it to a degree that is, is not very healthy. So the reconnection with humanity, specifically Fred, uh, the, the Cratchits, I mean, yes, he's going to financially help and make sure that Bob can heal, uh, heal his child, but he's going to also go over there and have dinner, and he's going to spend time with Fred. And I love the, the giving back of... I, 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 this isn't really anything. He gives back something from his mother. I won't say what it is. Don't, know what it is. <laughs> Don't give um, that away. But it is, it's, a, it's a family object as opposed to, it has great emotional value. It doesn't have a monetary value. And that to me is one of my, my favorite moments in, afterwards. It isn't about throwing the money around. It's about looking people in the eye and saying, I will be here for you because I have not done that for years. I know something that isn't in the book that became part of the conversation. I think it was either in the lead up to the prior production or even as we were doing Christmas Carol in concert and early conversations were happening over Zoom, is that Scrooge actually apologizes to Bob. There's no moment in the book where Scrooge says, I'm sorry. And there is in this adaptation. And, I'm, and I'm curious, 
for you in that, as we talk about transformative moments, like what, what that apology feels like in that space? Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting because I often tell my child, my beautiful 15 year old child, stop apologizing for the same freaking mistake. You know, the apology doesn't mean anything if you keep doing it over and over again. But you should always apologize for mistakes you make. And so I'm a, I'm a confusing parent, as you can well imagine. <laughs> Join but, uh, the club, But it, it, the point is, stop making the same mistake. And I think Scrooge owes so many apologies to the world. And I think he'll give one to everybody because that they'll mean something. And I think he is going to transition from who he was into who he's going to be. So that apology actually has the weight that I always... I should make my kid watch this show a bunch. I'm like, oh, and you're watching the show every night. I don't know if I answered that question for you or not. No, that was great. But I got really close to the mic. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene at the beginning of the play and the book where Fred comes to mm. Scrooge and Marley's place of business, the counting house. And is, we were just rehearsing. That's what I was about so to say. I'm we ready were just for this in question. rehearsal. And Fred uh, is kind of making a argument for Christmas and says, uh, Christmas has done me good. Mm-hmm. What does that phrase mean to you? This is a, it's a good question. Christmas was huge when I was little. I was raised in a theater community in Lansing, Michigan. And one of the friends of the theater had a 127-acre farm. And part of that farm was a Christmas tree farm. So the, our families, who didn't have money, he would let us come out and we would cut trees, put them in his um, tractor and drive them back. There was frivolity, drinking, and silliness. And I wasn't doing a lot of the drinking. I was very little. But the adults, let me tell you, <laughs> theater people, woo! Anyway, ahua! Uh, it, it was a glorious time. And it wasn't about presents and everything. It was about all the traditions that come pre-Christmas morning. And then I sort of walked away from it. I lost a brother in 1984, and Christmas became a very different thing for several years. And then I met my, at that point, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, Karen, and her family does Christmas. Her mom starts shopping December 26th for the following year for the, wow. all the deals you get on yeah. wrapping paper and all that. So, I mean, it's her, it's her hobby for the year. And I, I walked in in 1990, I guess it was 1996, and I barely knew these people, and I had a pile of presents that was bigger than I'd had for years and years and years. And it, it's so not about the presents. It's about all the activities that Christmas, uh, it was about the presents. But the, the, the activities that, that she brings into the routine of what the holidays are, and I was re-infused with freaking Christmas. This is lovely. It's about family. You have a big meal. You get together. You share. And I, I've gotten so invested in spending the year. I have notes on my phone on presents to get for people because yeah. the giving aspect of it has been really great. And then having a child, and that amped it up even again. So I think Christmas is awesome now. And I, for 15 years, I, could, I didn't care. And it's better to love it. <laughs> I think, you know, and people have, and I know there people have really complicated times with it and have lost people around there and have different belief systems, whatever. And I would never push it on anyone. But for me, right now, Christmas is all about what happens to Scrooge at the end. It's about rebirth. It's about finding the things that give you joy and bring you peace and surrounding yourself with the people that do the same thing. Do you have traditions now? I mean, other than obviously doing Christmas Carol at noon on Christmas Eve. Yeah, but, that's, uh, a, you know, that's a that's a great tradition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have other family traditions that you that that you and we don't because have? both Karen and I are actors, and so we're often mm-hmm. have different schedules and trying to figure it all out. But every year we either go to Baltimore to Karen's family or they come to us. What I also love about it is we don't have traditions. We set up the tree earlier and earlier every year, but we never do it before Thanksgiving. And then we play the music and we we sing the songs and we decorate the house and we just celebrate it as much as possible. We watch different movies every year. So some people are like, we're going to watch Elf every year, damn it. And we don't do that. So we do. 
You we watch Elf, we watch every, Elf year. every year, and It's a Wonderful Life every year. It's a Wonderful Life is a big one for us. And Love Actually, once the kids are asleep. That is but, awesome. But, um, Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas. Very good. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorites. Well, I have one. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Be- because you grew up in a theatrical family, because you played Tiny Tim as a kid, one of the benefits Am now... Am I better than the Tiny Tims we've had since? Exactly. Yes. No, I want, I the, I want the critique all of, of all <laughs> yeah, the yeah. I'm, I'm curious just in terms of like watching... This time we have two youth ensembles. Yeah, Holly we, and we, the, the Ivy. Holly and the Ivies. Last time we had sort of a truncated uh, youth ensemble mm-hmm. because we couldn't have too many young people because of COVID. When you're watching young folks act, I, I guess my question is, do you bring yourself back to being a kid when you're around other kids? Do you want to instruct them and help them guide their lives for the next forty years? Oh, like I what? get to. I can start telling them what to do. I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering what, like, what is your impulse when you're around? I try to just trying to. T- I think Adele's doing a great job of just opening them up, and they're what they need to do is just play in the space and feel that their energy, the frenetic energy that a group of kids do when they swarm into rehearsal every day should not stop once they get on stage, right? That needs to, st- as long as they're paying attention and saying their lines when they're supposed to, uh, I just want to see them, their hearts open and, and do it. I was literally raised in the theater. I was backstage every day and I was watching professional actors. And I think most kids who come in to do shows at a theater are in theater clubs and yeah. they're not having the full experience. I, I mean, I've lived in the theater. What my buyer used to say, born backstage in a trunk, you know, and... Um, <laughs> And that wasn't true. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Anyway, uh, you know, my first role was I was played an aborted fetus in Stuff the World I Want to Get Off when I was three years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just came out on stage and I raised myself up and then I didn't quite make it. And so, and that's, that explains a lot about me. That's amazing. But so, yeah, so at, at three years old, I was exposed to a level of theater that I think most kids aren't. Yeah. And so what they think of it is uh, slightly different than how I approached it. So all I would say is that whenever they're in a room watch put your phone down watch how the professionals do it and choose what you like and also what you don't like because i'll often do something i'm like that's wrong and i hope they can see that but i also often do some things that are right and that somebody else might not have done and go oh there's several ways to do it but watching i find a lot of times with not just children actors but younger actors it's a lot of if you're not on in the scene you're off on your phone yeah and i like the rule when there's no you you don't have a cell phone in the in the rehearsal room because it, I don't mind if you leave, but if you'd rather be on your phone than watching professional actors do what we do, that would be my one note for the youth of the world. I'm realizing it's so funny because I didn't even think about this until you're talking about this now, but Mitch Shakur, who's our musical arranger in the show, was someone who I met when I was in right. sixth grade. Yeah. And while I wasn't a child actor, although I played a spider pretty well in sixth grade. That doesn't surprise um, me. I know. Can you just imagine all my it. arms and legs? Um, all of them. All, all of them. them. Uh, I, wa- I was a musician at that point. Yeah. And, and, Mitch, and Mitch scooped me up and I started studying with him. At the age, I mean, I was younger than some of the kids that are in our show now. And watching Mitch interact with them and teach some of the songs to them and, and try to sort of get that play, that sort of energy of exuberance and play is something that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm having these flashbacks sure. of being 10 years old and having that kind of energy and support of making music. So I think it, I just I think it's wonderful in a way that you did play Tiny Tim. Yes. I think it's wonderful that you can be in a space and have that sort of understanding of some of what they're going through. And it, it just brings a wonderful energy into the room. A lot of audiences, a lot of theater people have very specific thoughts about Christmas Carol being done. They either roll their eyes or they're super excited. What are your thoughts about theaters continuing to produce Christmas Carol? I think it's a, it's a living, it should be a living, breathing thing like a Shakespeare play. I mean, it's in the public domain, and I mean, you, can, you can mess with it. If you keep the heart of the story, 
we all could use a little redemption in our life. We can all go through a metamorphosis and come out better for it on the other end, you know, daily. <laughs> in, the, in the last hour, I've become a much better person. Um, and so I, I think... We can tell. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, it, yeah. It's the glow. I love the chance to do it and make people go, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I think that we should also try and find other Christmas stories that are equally well. Get some new writers writing stuff. But we know it works. We know it's a story that people come back to time and time again. And it's the same question you ask, well, why keep doing Othello? Why keep doing uh, Much Ado? Well, they're great. And there's a reason we're doing them. The difference is, how does this group take this adaptation and make it their own? Already, this is so much different than it was in 2021. It's a completely different energy in the room. Not better, not worse, but just completely different. And that's thrilling. I never thought it was going to get into, oh, i got to do the screw, and then we'll be doing Inspecting Carolyn in two years. Like, I can't do it again. But it doesn't feel that way at all. And that's, I, I, people are just going to keep coming to it. And people do have traditions at Christmas, and one of them happens to be this story. It's like the night before Christmas is, you know, that is actually a tradition. We still read it, although I think my boy this year will be like, do I have to sit on your lap and read it? I'm like, yes, you do. Get over here, <laughs> you big bugger. So it is a tradition, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that, especially when it's a story that I think is, and I know there's complications with Dickens uh, as, a, as a human being in history, but the story he wrote, I'm not going to him to be my moral guide. I'm going to him for a great story. It's like I, I, I could go into Tiger Woods, too. I really like to watch Tiger play golf. I don't know that I'd want to have drinks with him. No, I would. I would. Tiger, Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Ian. This was a wonderful conversation. Please continue the conversation we started in the comments. Uh, Be on the lookout on People's Light social media for future episodes. If you're feeling generous, please donate to People's Light on our website at peopleslight.org slash support. Uh, We hope you come out to see Christmas Carol running at People's Light from November 15th to December 31st. You can get your tickets on the People's Light website at peopleslight.org. Aua! Aua! I've already done three (laughs) times.